0: Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: Eric Davis High Weirdness Drugs, Esoterica, and Visionary Experience in the seventies really just I mean, from my mind, Philip K. Dick is like he's the babe Ruth of the three heavy hitters you've mentioned so far as being absolutely, the absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean the whole book started
0: out as just being about uh, Philip K. Dick. But I became interested in the way in which his, uh, his remarkable experience that, that he called 2374, because it happened in 1974, it started in 1974, uh, it, started, it, it resonated so much with these other experiences that I started to go, hey, something's going on that's more than just about Philip K. Dick and his very singular imagination and singular life. But he really is the, 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 the person that I've been reading the longest and the, studied the most and have written the most about. Uh, well, so, yeah, so that is the heart of the tale.
1: Yeah, and I think you, I mean, you said singular, and it kind of rubs up against singularity, and I think that that's not out of the question and a conversation about what was going on with Philip K. Dick's mind Is he blended pretty seamlessly the fact of his life and the fictions that he was writing about.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about that blend between uh, fact and fiction. It's on our minds so much these days as we try to just navigate consensus reality as it melts right. down. And we look yes. back at these guys, and they were really pushing that, that boundary. And, and uh, Dick did it, uh, you know, just uh, in a different way than, than Wilson, but not not too terribly different, where even though he had this remarkable set of experiences that, you know, visionary dreams and synchronicities and experiences with light and getting downloading messages and, you know, all this kind of paranormal material, the closer you look at it, you realize that a lot of it is kind of like his own fiction, but it's not like he's making it up. It's like he's sort of, he's in a loop where like his own fictions are are, are entering into his life and then he's responding like a character in one of his stories and he's acknowledging that his own works in some ways. You know, resemble reality more and more, and he's like, "There's something going on here that's about uh, that's beyond the difference between fiction and reality."
1: Yeah, and it, I, I've never read two three seventy four. I don't think it. I don't. I mean, it's been published in its entirety now, finally. Eight are there eight a, a thousand of the eight thousand pages, or how many oh, pages have been ec- published?
0: Thesis. yeah. So he, after he had this experience, he spent the rest of his life writing about it in different ways. He wrote novels based on it. Vallas is the right. uh, the most famous and, and, and probably the most worthwhile. But he also wrote this private diary that he never intended to publish that he mo- he called the exegesis. And it's this enormous work and I worked on the published version of it, which like you said, is is a big fat book, fatter than mine. Come on. It's only a tenth yeah. of what he wrote.
1: I heard Whoa. it was 8,000 pages. Something like that. That On, about And, right. and 8,000, and I'm not saying this to besmirch his good name, rest in peace, but 8,000 fairly drug-fueled pages, right? I mean, he was no. writing like feverishly 150 pages a week or day or something like that for a while.
0: He was writing feverishly, but the interesting thing about, about Dick and makes him different than Terrence McKenna and Robert Anton Wilson is that those guys – were really into psychedelics, and they oh, were I... taking psychedelics big time to blow themselves to the ends of the universe. But Dick, especially by the early nineteen seventies, wasn't actually taking that many drugs, and he oh, never. Oh took... wait,
1: wait, wait! Yeah, psychedelics. Never... I'm not saying he was taking
0: speed, though. Right, but by by the by the by the seventies, he was he was not really taking speed anymore because he. Okay, that was the sixties. So that's what's interesting about him is he's right. not actually. I mean, he's drug damaged, no doubt. And okay. But the thing about Dick is that you can't, it's not just about the drugs, because he was always weird. Like when he was a kid, yeah. <laughs> he had very strange experiences. He had, they had him in, you know, seeing psychiatrists, and he was on meds, you know, at a very early point. So he is what we would say not neurotypical. You know, right. the other guys were kind of bringing it on. They were like Prometheans. They wanted to push it to the edge. In a way, Dick Brought it on, but he also kind of suffered it. He kind of he was more like a classic mystic that had things just sort of happen to him. And, and so he wrote like a maniac, but in a way he was almost outside of the really drug-fueled period that he had had earlier uh, in his life.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I, and, and I'm not the expert, nor do I claim to be, but I do remember reading at one point, I don't know, maybe it was in the reviews when A Scanner Darkly came out, um, as a movie, and people were talking about the he had, he was living with he had all these like hippies that were living in in his big old house with him, right He let street people live with him for yeah, a period was, of time
0: yeah that was that was just before yeah that was at the very or basically he had he was living with the hippies and his life was really spiraling out of control. He hit bottom and then he went into a clinic you know like a like a rehab clinic. And after he got out of the rehab clinic, he moved to Southern California, and that's where like things kind of settled down. Okay. You know, comparatively, <laughs> comparatively, <laughs> right? I mean, he's still living, still living on the edge, and uh, but the Exegesis is a fascinating, strange book. I mean, on one hand, it's just like like a million crank literature pieces of literature out there where people write the like their uh, metaphysics of the actual true structure of the cosmos, and they're just in some attic somewhere, or, you know, in a basement somewhere, and in a way, it's like one of these, like, crazy texts, but it's also written by this brilliant science fiction writer, so it's, uh, it's much richer than that, and it's, so it's a fascinating way to see what happens when people have really far-out experiences, and then they try to write their way out of it, they try to understand what's happening, and they leave this, these texts behind that we can look at and go... Whoa, what were they thinking, right. or what were they on or what were they what what had gone down
1: with? Them? Yeah, that the word is interesting too. Exegesis coming from the Greek and and meaning uh, very specifically in literature how one allows the text to speak for itself. But in his case, I think the exegesis and this, you know, voluminous work, which we'll never hear the end of, we'll never probably see the end of it in our lifetimes, uh, published, um, was an exa- was letting that period of his life, that two three seventy four period of his life, speak for itself.
0: Yeah, one of the interesting things about the, the the Dick's whole situation is that he felt like he had gotten a revelation, like in the full religious sense, like he had he had seen through. The falseness of reality and see and glimpse the truth, but at the same time, it's like he didn't really get the message. Like he didn't really know what it meant. He didn't really know what the revelation was about. And so, what you see in the exegesis is he just he offers theory after theory after theory after theory. I mean, he's like you know the the wildest speculators that you have on the show turned up to eleven over and over and over and over again, like night after night, year after year. Maybe it was a Soviet satellite uh, beaming signals to my head. Maybe the universe is is one god. Maybe there are two gods and they're fighting. Maybe it's one side of my brain and the other side of the brain. It's just like theory after theory after theory. But he had this like, revelatory experience so he knew it was really important so in a way he was in a very challenging bind yeah. <laughs> you know trying to think his way out to exegete to interpret or to let the the, the the text of his own experience speak but the the thing is is that the text was garbled <laughs> right it's like it was full of noise and, and and multiple meanings and he could never really figure it out so it's it's a remarkable. It's sort of like a postmodern religious oh, yeah. experience. You oh, know, yeah. like <laughs> religious experiences in the old days, people have the revelation and they come out and they go, I know, you know, right. we must all sit around in a circle and stare at each other's eyes and God will come down and then everybody follows them or doesn't. Right. But with right. Dick he had a revelation, but it's like he never really got anything except the profound sense that the world as we know it is an illusion.
1: Except, I don't know, and I'm, again, you're the expert here. We're talking about high weirdness, Eric Davis, in this particular period of literature and art in the late 60s, early 70s, particularly the early 70s, um, which uh, leads to some, I, I think, you know, it, it's the blueprint for a lot of things which turn out all the time on, on Coast to Coast. But the, there was a level of, of particular, I thought, um, sort of a Christian experience that Philip K. Dick had during that time. Is that not right, where he...
0: Oh, there's he, there's definitely a big theme of... I mean, he he actually became a Christian in the right. early 1960s. And even though from the outside you might look at his wife and work and go, oh, he doesn't seem that that Christian. You know, okay. <laughs> and, but he would always say, no, I'm an Episcopalian, I'm a Episcopalian, I'm a Christian. Right. And so yeah, his his two three seventy four has is full of Christian stuff, but it's also has Buddhist stuff and Taoist stuff and Greek right. stuff, Gnostic stuff up the wazoo, but a lot of it is Christian. I mean, he definitely was focused on the figure of of the of the Christ. He, he was very into right. the idea of the logos, the idea that the kind of God's uh, sort of information enters into our our right. false world and begins to transform and, and even redeem it. And he yeah. was interested in the idea that there would be another another kind of savior figure. So even though he wouldn't be recognized as a conventional Christian by most Christians, there's definitely an important Christian layer. And that's actually one of the arguments that I have, is that nobody really, nobody thinks of him as a Christian writer. You know, there's a lot of writers out there that, you know, Walker, you know, Walker Percy or somebody, and like, oh, right. he's a Christian author. And Dick was very, he always insisted he was a Christian, there's Christian motifs in his book, but people never think about him as like a Christian science fiction writer or something. But you know, he, in some ways you have, to, you have to recognize that as a, as a I think, crucial part.
1: And I think actually you hit on it in a way, it, and this I, I can speak from because I'm ordained in the Episcopal Church. He's, he's, got, a very, uh, he's got a very Episcopal outlook. Um, and so, we, even when you mention things like you know Taoism and other tradition, Buddhism and stuff, that that too becomes part of a, a a regular conversation. It's not the core of the faith by all means, but there are things that happen within the Episcopal tradition because it tends to be much more open minded, maybe than other Christian.
0: Oh yeah, and, and another, are.
1: I think another important element of his
0: Christianity that that will be you know uh, reminds us of how uh, you know different periods of christian history have have had different effects is that he really glommed on to the early period right. not just because you know you're closer to christ christ is going to come again but he you know one of his ideas was that the whole period of time between uh, you know uh, rome and our current moment was an illusion and that we were basically actually living in the you know expecting the imminent return of Christ in the Roman period and that as he put it, you know, mm-hmm. Rome never died. And that we were still kind of living in this in this period in the, of time. In the time um, of
1: crypto Christianity when Christians were still hiding in tombs.
0: Exactly. And that's what he really identified with was the idea yeah. that
1: that as spiritual people, as people who had
0: seen the light, as people who were struggling for the good, we were we're underground. The dominant world is dark, it's controlled, it's, it's a black iron prison. And so now, you know, we're, we're in different countries in different ways, you know, Christianity has more or less power depending on, you know, it depends on the situation, but we don't tend to think of it as this underground rebel, you know, like the, the rebels in the first Star Wars movie. And that's right. what he's really relating <laughs> with, is that right. aspect of Christianity, which is, for me, uh, has always been the most attractive part of Christianity
1: yeah uh through a you know through a scanner darthly it might be um where the rebel alliance taking on the and i think that's interesting because you mentioned the that where two hemispheres of his brain seemed to always be in competition with each other and that was a, another internal struggle i don't know whether that was the result of the previous psychedelic drug use or whether it was a some some residue of a psychotic break at some point but i mean he that's part of that philip k dick at least the legend of philip k dick that i find so interesting is he he was he really was he felt like a little bit like it he was at his mind was at war with itself yeah i mean
0: sometimes he felt that there was another person inside of him okay. uh, it, it was usually good like it was usually someone who was who was on his side so it wasn't too conflictual but you know I mean he definitely you know veered into into something like psychosis or whatever you want to call it bipolar this and that I mean he was as I said he was not he was non neurotypical and yeah. one of the things that you can you know, so you could you see you could look at his life and read his books and go, "Wow, this guy's pretty crazy," but another way is to say, "Well, maybe he was even crazier than that, and he did all this to keep himself as sane as he could, and by telling these stories and by pursuing spirituality and researching you know the history of myth and the history of religion and trying to figure out what was going on, he was actually like. Weaving himself back together, and and so it's a it's a really uh, powerful uh, way of recognizing some of the, the the really important relationships between religion or esoteric mystical experience and psychopathology. They're not the same thing, but they're they're, they're in tension, and in some people in particular, it's a it's a serious tension. And you know, we find if you look at the lives of mystics, or if you look at the most like the most spiritually powerful people you've known, some of them live very upright lives, but some of them live pretty crazy lives because yeah. they spend some time being kind of crazy. So there's yeah. something about that light that also brings you closer to pathology, and that's one of the things that I'm really interested in with, with all these guys. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.